Hey guys, my name is Nick and this is a random Wikipedia article where I just generate a completely random article and read it for you guys. Um, today we do have two articles once again. Um, it, it can be hard sometimes to find appropriate length articles because it actually most often generates articles that are only a few sentences long. So I'm not sure why they have so many of those. But the first article today is on the Hexam Wolf. So I'm excited to read about that. Um, the Hexam Wolf, also called the Allendale Wolf or Wolf of Allendale, was a gray wolf that escaped from a zoo and killed livestock in Hexham and Allendale, Northumberland, during the winter of 1904. Now, I'd be terrified about that. You know what? I actually used to have a cat, um, and we live in a pretty safe neighborhood, and we used to let our cat go out, you know, and run around. But one day it never came home, and we found out that there were reports of a fox in our area. So that's awful. It, it was really sad. I have, I have another cat now, and I never, ever let her go outside. <laughs> um, conflicting reports label the wolf as being either black and tan or done although it was largely reported as being large and male. So I don't know what color Dunn is. Never heard of that in my life. Um, Northumberland. Where's Northumberland, England? It is in, yeah, northern England. On 10 December 1904, the Hexham Current ran a story with the title Wolf at Large in Allendale, reporting that over the past two to three weeks, livestock loss in Hexham and Allendale had become so severe that some farmers were now housing animals in the night. Okay, so did they not just have wolves outside in uh, England? Maybe not, but I mean, in Europe they surely do, but I don't know. Like, I guess I just thought wolves lived in the woods. <laughs> um, maybe just more like foxes and stuff. Where do wolves live then, you know? I'm sure they live in Russia. Um... <clears throat> Though it, was sick, though it was suspected that the livestock killer was an escaped wolf belonging to Captain Bain of Shotley Bridge, that wolf was too young to pose a threat, and a much larger wolf was spotted by Allenhead School. On 9 December 1904, a gray wolf that had just committed a great slaughter of a flock of sheep was tracked for miles but escaped. The next day, he returned to his kill and a new search party went out to no avail. The public of Northumberland began then to get anxious. Sheep were kept inside at night and lights were lit all night. Rewards were being offered to whoever could kill the wolf. A large meeting of farmers from the area was held on 20 December, chaired by the local MP Madge Wentworth Majesty, I don't know, Wentworth uh, Henry Canning Beaumont and a five-pound reward was offered for the wolf's skin. Subsequently, the Hexham Wolf Committee was set up to help find the wolf. The Hexham Wolf Committee, okay. On 29 December 1904, some plate layers found the carcass of an animal cut up, cut in two by a passing train and thrown a distance of 40 yards. They buried the animal, but then later, after discussing it with the station master at Cumwinton, dug it up again and brought it back to the station where a member of the Hexham Wolf Committee identified it as a full-grown gray male wolf. Captain Bain declared the wolf too old to be his, 
and it was proclaimed on 7 January 1905 that the wolf found was not the Hexham wolf, who was still at large. Yeah, they just didn't want to pay that money. Um, by the end of January 1905, interest was waning in stories of the Hexham wolf, newspapers pushing it further back until it disappeared altogether. When the Hexham heads were discovered in 1971, the werewolf sightings that resulted were thought to be the Hexham wolf. Um, okay. I don't know. I bet that probably was the wolf. Um, let's see what Hexham heads are. They thought that... Oh, okay. The Hexham heads were a pair of small stone heads. The heads became associated with alleged paranormal phenomena. That's an interesting article. Now, I have a completely different article to read, but I, I do want to look into this. Well, you know what? It's pretty short. I'll, I'll go ahead and read this, too, before we read our second article. The heads became associated with alleged paranormal phenomena, and their exact origin is a point of controversy. They look very weird if you look up the pictures. <clears throat> the heads were originally dug up by two boys. Colin and Leslie Robson, who found them in the garden in 1971. A number of sources incorrectly give the year as 1972. After the discovery, the Robson family reported strange phenomena, with the heads allegedly being moved when no one was in the room and bottles being mysteriously thrown across rooms. The Dodd family next door also reported phenomena, with one boy's hair pulled in the night and his mother Nellie seeing a half-man, half-goat figure leaving the house shortly afterwards. The heads were subsequently given to Dr. Anne Ross, an expert in Celtic artifacts. According to Dr. Ross's own account, she woke up one morning and saw a part wolf, part man figure walking out of the room. She followed it downstairs and saw it heading toward the direction of the kitchen, but then lost track of it. <laughs> what? Okay. Um, a few days later, her daughter Bernice told her that after returning home from school, she saw a large, dark, werewolf-like figure on the stairs that jumped over the banisters and into a corridor before vanishing. The wolf was believed to have some relation to the Hexham wolf that killed livestock in the winter of 1904. Ross also reported the feeling of a cold presence, her study door bursting open with no apparent cause, and another apparent sighting of a dark figure. Knowing of Nellie Dodd's experience, Dr. Ross equated all these phenomena with the Hexham heads, and the incidents allegedly stopped when she removed the two Celtic heads from her possession out of the house. A man named Desmond Craigie reported that he was the creator of the heads, making them in 1956 for his daughter, while he was living in the house later occupied by the Robson family, along with the third head which became damaged and had to be thrown away. Craigie, who worked for a company that dealt in concrete at the time, who worked, uh, allegedly created the heads, made some replicas to demonstrate his claim. However, these replicas were not satisfactorily similar to the original heads. The original heads were analyzed by Professor Dearman of the University of Newcastle, who concluded that the items had been molded artificially rather than carved. The original heads were given to another man, but he and the heads vanished, and their whereabouts are still unknown. Mm, that's creepy. Very creepy. Um, Alright. So, the next article is Cabadadari. 
Kabadadari is a 2021 Indian Tamil language neo-noir thriller written and directed by Pradeep Krishnamurthy and produced by G. Dananjian. A remake of the 2019 Kannada film Kavaludari, the film stars Sibi Satyaraj, along with Nandita Swetha, Nisar, Jayaprakash, Suman Ranganathan, and Pradeep Krishnamurthy in supporting roles. The music and background score for the film is composed by Simon K. King, with cinematography handled by Rasmathi and editing done by Praveen K.L. It was simultaneously made in Telugu as Kapadadari with Samanth in the lead role. The film released on 28 January 2021. Cool. Okay. And now we're going to go ahead and read the plot. So I guess I'm not going to be watching this movie because it will be spoiled. Before the movie starts, there are graphics showing a car holding dead bodies. The bodies are buried and the car is burnt. The driver is shown holding a pot full of jewels. The story revolves around Shakti, played by C.B. Sathyaraj, a sincere traffic cop whose real interest lies in handling crime-related cases. One day, he accidentally comes across the skeletal remains of a three-member family, and he decides to pursue his interest despite warning from his senior officer. However, his plans hit roadblock when he gets to know that the remains are four decades old. Forensic reports show that there are signs of struggle on the bodies, so it most likely was a murder. His encounter with Kumar, played by Jayaprakash, a small-time journalist who is equally interested in the case, helps him to unfold many mysteries. He finds out that the dead family's head is Suresh, played by J. Satish Kumar, the boss of an archaeology department he worked with. Oh, the boss of an archaeology department. He worked with Sampath to uncover jewels from the um, Vijayanagara Empire. It was the same day in which Sampath was mysteriously killed. On the same day, Suresh was found with a blood-stained shirt, so Shakti realizes that Suresh killed Sampath. The arrival of Ranjan, a retired cop who investigated the case decades ago, and actress Ramya into the plot, makes things complex for Shakti. Kumar tells Shakti that Ramya is related to the case. So Shakti goes to ask her questions, but it proves unsuccessful. Ranjan decides to help Shakti by giving him information from what he investigated. He reveals that Suresh didn't actually kill Sampath, and that the blood on Suresh's shirt was from a wounded person whom Suresh had saved. Who killed Sampath and how the family died remains a mystery. Ramya was also killed later. When Ranjan and Shakti went to investigate her house, they see a picture of Ramya wearing a necklace from the Vijayanagara Empire excavation. Then they see a goon who breaks into the house. Shakti and Ranjan chase after him. When they follow the goon, it leads them to a resort. In a park near the resort, Ranjan recognizes a place where the car was originally burnt. Inside the resort, a political leader is giving a speech, and Shakti gets a call from Kumar to meet him. Kumar tells him that before Ramya was an actress, she used to be a dancer who danced for criminals. What? 
So she's like a stripper, but just for criminals. Uh, I'm guessing like the mob or something, because otherwise that kind of makes no sense. One person had a deep connection with Ramya. He was Minjor Ranganathan, the upcoming chief minister. Meanwhile, Aranjan discovers that the resort belongs to Minjur Ranganathan. Okay. Was that the person we were... Yeah, okay. So Shakti goes to inspect Minjur's home to find more evidence. He finds holy Christian objects hidden in a high shelf. This confuses Shakti because Minjur is a Hindu. He tells Aranjan who goes to Minjur's campaign. He notices that Minjur looks like Fernandez, Shuresh's... Suresh's old driver. In front of the crowd, he shouts Fernandez, to which Minjur looks awkwardly at Ranjan. He gets scared and tells his goons to abduct him. Ranjan tells Shakti everything, and then he is taken. Minjur explains to Ranjan that he found out that Suresh was holding a treasure with 80 locks in his department, so he kills Sampath. And, just to make sure he gets away with the money, he plans to kill Suresh too. He tells Rayada about his plan, but he doesn't tell him about Sampath. He tells Rayadu to put sleeping pills in the family's food so that they can make a run. But what Rayadu doesn't know is that the pills are poisoned. The whole family dies, and Rayadu threatens to tell the police about whatever Fernandez did. However, the bag containing the pills had Rayadu's fingerprints, so he would also get in trouble. Fernandez takes the, their dead bodies in the car, buries them, and burns the car. He takes the jewelry and becomes rich. To make sure no one got suspicious, he changed his identity to Minjur Ranganathan. Right, so all that was something that happened in the past. And he was telling someone that, I guess. Um, after that, Minjur has his goons kill Ranjan. Shakti comes, but he is too late, and Ranjan dies. Before he dies, though, Ranjan tells Shakti what Minjur did. He gets very mad and kills Minjur's goons. He eventually finds out that Kumar is actually Rayadu. He goes to inquire this to Kumar, but Kumar's daughter comes, forcing Shakti to leave. After this, he goes to Minjur to threaten him, but he actually goes there to work for Minjur. Minjur tells him to kill Rayadu slash Kumar. On the car ride, he stops his car and shoots Kumar, but not before recording him telling everything about Min Minjur and Ramya. Kumar says that when he went to kill when he went to interview Ramya, one of Minjur's goons killed her because she knows about Minjur's past. After killing Kumar, Shakti goes to Minjur's swearing ceremony and tells him that he killed Kumar. But it turns out that Shakti lied and that he didn't kill Kumar. Kumar disguises himself and serves Minjur milk. Inside the milk, however, is poison. Minjur dies on the spot. When Shakti and Kumar drive the car, Kumar reveals that he drank the remaining poison because he feels very guilty. The recording Kumar made becomes viral, and everyone learns about Minjur and his past sins. Because of his work on the case, Shakti gets promoted to police officer in the crime branch. Didn't he literally just have someone killed? Um, I'm pretty sure... Okay, he had him killed. He did not kill him himself, but... I mean... <laughs> okay, then. Um, the recording Kumar... Okay. In the end, it is revealed that the man who Suresh saved all those years ago was actually Shakti's dad, and that is why he was very interested in the case. Well, that sounds like an interesting movie. Now, um, 
Let's see. It was in- initially scheduled to be released in 2020, but was postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. On mid-September 2020, producer Dananjayan announced that the film was scheduled for a theatrical release in November and refuted rumors of releasing on over-the-top media service. After the reopening of theaters across Tamil Nadu with restrictions of 50% occupancy, Kabdadari was scheduled for a theatrical release on 25th December 2020, simultaneously along with its Telugu version, but was postponed due to various reasons. It was released on 28 January 2021, coinciding with the occasion of Taipusam. Bharadwaj Rangan of Film Companion South wrote, The film isn't bad, but it's overlong and without a strong sense of style. We are just left with the functional plot points. So that sounded interesting. Now, I actually opened another article um, whenever I I was reading that other sort of uh, the supernatural article on the heads. And this looks super interesting. And I I just have to read it. So I'm actually going to go ahead and read this one tomorrow because it is long. And I think that I can create one episode of this whole thing. But it's called um, The Belmez Faces. And it's some sort of phenomenon that's happened in Spain. And it's sort of supernatural. So I'm excited to read that one. If you want to hear that, you know, tune in tomorrow. Of course, you can always look it up yourself. But I am excited to read it. And I am not going to read it until then. So I'm going to be waiting to read it with you guys. All right. I will see you guys tomorrow. Until then.